AB InBev thinks they know more about Hard Seltzer than White Claw. Buffering at a beer festival. And we have another never go to can, switch into can. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer. You think the regular news is depressing these days? Well, stay tuned because the same shit is happening, only it's happening to beer, so that makes it worse. I mean, beer's making regular news, so... I'm giving up trying to be funny with these anymore. I'm gonna, so I'm going... I think we're going to start the show with some, like, existential depression, and then we'll move up from there. So, uh, everything is the worst. Everything you love is dying, and uh, let's talk about it. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Apparently, we're <laughs> nihilist Arby's now. <laughs> I thought it was a way... Look... People love nihilist Arby's. They, they, they used to. They may not like it anymore. <laughs> like, it's too real now. Like, like no. Now now everything he says is true. Um, this is awful. Hey, Tyler, you brought us some cool beer. Yeah. Uh, first one, we're, we got a couple here tonight. Uh, first one is the Bear Bear uh, from Off Color Brewing out of Chicago. It's a rye beer brewed with juniper berries and aged in with wine barrel staves. It's interesting. So... I get the wine on it. It's got like, I get a little bit of that, like, you know, that fruity, almost, you know, there's almost like a cab or a, or a Syrah in the back. Yeah. You got this like, uh, woody, uh, caramely malt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's like an old Bruin, but without the sourness. It's like, if you took a, it's like the, a, the base beer for an old Bruin before they soured it. Yeah. Or first thing kind of came to my mind was old ale uh, with Christmas tree, basically. I mean, or you guess go the other direction. It's like a more subdued double with a touch of tartness, and then you got the wine. Plus. So it's, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm digging it. Yeah, super complex. Uh, got recommended this from uh, the beer buyer down at the downtown Boise Co-op. Thanks, Derek. But Thank you, Derek. Uh, good wait, good yeah. selection. Yeah, I mean, it's... Smooth, highly complex. I'm curious um, to see what it does with a little bit of warmth on it. Well, hold, keep holding it, you know, keep cupping it in your hands like that, and we'll find out soon enough, I suppose. Yep. Uh, uh, one point of thing, Jeremy and I, for the first time, I think, this whole podcast <laughs> life, have worn the same beer short, shirt the same day. It was only a matter of time because, I mean, I think in the industry you collect shirts, they just kind of... I. To be honest, my wardrobe now is jeans and a beer shirt. Yeah. And so half my wardrobe has been given to me. It's probably not the way an adult male should conduct himself, (laughs) but it is the way I have chosen to. (laughs) Fuck you, Dad. I have a real job. (laughs) He's like, no, you don't. (laughs) You you are, you just, you know, sell beer. (laughs) Damn right. (laughs) I'm essential. (laughs) Woo! All right, Tyler, what do we got today? So, to start, we got a little bit of AB InBev's thanks they're smarter than everyone else. I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely good at being bastards, better at being bastards than anybody else, but they've proven themselves most, more or less incompetent in every other sense. Tell us, what are they, well, what are they up to? So, as everyone knows, White Claw kind of rules the world. Basically, with everything. I was gonna say you could say the rules of seltzer world, but I mean they're trouncing beer, they're trouncing liquor. I saw an article this morning as I was taking my morning dump uh, <laughs> that said what hard seltzer will make up ten percent of the beer category by the by June. Jesus Christ, that is. So, I mean, they own the world. That is incredible. I mean, what is, I mean, what's Bud Light? I think 
I think Bud Light itself is like something like 20 or 30%. At its peak, it got 51% of the U.S. beer market. Right. So, um, so I mean, a, a significant portion of all beer sales is Bud Light. So, I mean, again, what we're seeing is White Claw doing Bud Light numbers. Yeah. And the crazy part is it's White Claw is like 70% of that. And then, like, Truly is like 10%. Yeah. And then everyone else gets the last 20%. Including uh, uh, the Bud Light Hard Seltzer, which, although did come out and immediately take 10% of that market, it's kind of, that's kind of where they ended. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, you've got all the brands that Anheuser-Busch makes. You have the three different Natty Light Seltzers, <laughs> the Bon & Viv, which has been rebranded more times than fucking Madonna. Uh, <laughs> then you also have... Uh, their Bud Light Seltzer, like you yeah. said. And I want to say there is another one. I'm just drawing a blank on it. I mean, let me see. So Truly White Claw. I mean, there's and a, every and every craft brewer or every craft brewery has their like version of a hard seltzer. Um, but you're right. There's another one there that I'm blanking on. It's yeah. I'm sure it's super good, though. But uh, so for the most part, uh Saw this article on Brewbound by Jessica Infante. Uh, she kind of dives into White Claw kind of set the market, and then everyone else basically followed where they went. 5%, 100 calories. That's what a hard seltzer is. That's what everyone expects. Mm-hmm. Uh, AB Bev, like their Natty Light seltzers, according to the article, 6%, 133 calories. They're just appealing to the frat kids. Uh that just have the brand loyalty to Natty Light and want to drink something that's even lighter than Natty Light. I I feel like if you if you if you want to appeal to frat boys, you just up the alcohol a little bit and and keep it just as crushable. And yeah. guess what? They're gonna guzzle it. I mean, that's what they do. They they yeah. put alcohol in their system and then they jump off roofs. That's <laughs> <laughs> they're kind of like Buffalo Bills football fans. <laughs> jump through, jump onto some flaming tables and. Perfect. Start drinking at 7 a.m. Perfect. That's uh, <laughs> no way disturbing. And then uh, the only the Bud Light Seltzer actually stayed in line with the five percent and 100 calories. Their Bonham Vivs like four and a half percent, 90 calories. Uh, well, White Claw just rolled out some new products. Uh, they did two 70 calorie options. They have a clementine and a pineapple. 3.7 percent alcohol. 70 calories. Okay. Anheuser-Busch is deciding they want to go in an opposite direction. Um, They're getting ready to release another hard seltzer. (laughs) It's going to be called the Social Club Seltzer. God. It's three cocktail-inspired flavors, an old-fashioned, sidecar, and citrus gimlet. For, for those people who like want it, want a uh, a a, a, a Cock- cocktail, but, but made shittily. But I mean, not yeah, but not like a fresh one, like the one that like a little bit of the half a glass where the ice is melted and then bubbly. They want a t- bar mat shot. Basically. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, I don't see how that's bad at all. Which these are gonna come in at a higher alcohol content and more calories of course because of course. higher alcohol because that is where the calories for all these come from is alcohol yes so with this uh the reason they're going with this is because according to a consumer survey 
they found that 83% of spirits drinkers are seeking a complex and sophisticated beverage. So they... <laughs> direct quote from the article. So they are going this route to try to reach that market. I would love to have been in that focus group uh, where you got a bunch of you know, people like him. Like, all right. On a scale of one to ten, would you prefer? Would you prefer a you know uh, uh, the the leftovers of a bar mat? Would you prefer a cocktail that is made shittily by a piece of shit, or would you like something sophisticated? It's crazy to me because I've seen, I know at least in the Treasure Valley, there's a couple. There's you got your Monaco, which is more of a craft can cocktail. It's like six percent, but it's like a tequila margarita and right. And I feel those sell okay, but not near as well as the hard seltzers have been. Uh, they definitely have a, I, I they have they have a market, a separate but very loyal market. I mean, when those, uh, I, uh, I was working at a grocery store when those, I mean, when uh, the the premixed cocktails started coming out in force. But I feel like hard seltzers back then weren't near as big. No. They were no, they were. I mean, you could almost you could almost say that at the time that these you know the, that, they precursed it. Yeah, you know they were like, oh, these are good, and then hard seltzers started really picking up and kind of stole their thunder. But yeah, and <clears throat> there's also boozy, which is made by the same people that make Forty Four North here in Idaho. Yeah, uh, and I've seen those, and I've talked to some people. They're like, they're they're okay. They just don't sell as good. Right. It white cloth sell circles around it. So, to me, I'm just like, does AB Bev just think that they can do it better? One, that they know something the rest of the people don't know. Or are they just like, we're going to be different because that'll sell better and have no idea what the fuck they're getting into and it's going to flop well, like it, Bon and Viv has. Well, it looks like, I mean, it, it, to me, it looks like AB Bev's strategy is very much throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see if any of it sticks. So my guess is probably the latter. Like, well, this is different. Let's just keep shoveling shit. And maybe it'll find a market. Maybe it won't. But, you know, we're AB InBev. So we yeah. can we, we can dump millions of dollars down a, a black hole. And nobody really cares. Yeah. Uh, so I did find the alcohol percentage on it. It's going to be 7% and 150 calories. Good God. Which significantly higher, especially than the... Normal, but compared to the 3.7% locale option that White Claw's offering, I I think White Claw's going to just continue to pull away. And, I mean, they built a, their brand. They're the band-aid of the hard seltzer. Mm -hmm. I have heard people go, oh, I'll take a White Claw. Oh, it's this hard seltzer. Oh, same thing. The White Claws becoming the, the brand aid. The, be, yeah, becoming the uh, the generic term for a hard seltzer. Yeah. Oh, I'll take a oh, I'll take a truly White Claw, please. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, so I guess I don't get why AB and Bev's almost over diversifying their hard seltzer portfolio because they're kind of all over the board with gonna have a seven percent, a four and a half percent, a five percent, and a six percent. I mean, again, it's. I mean, it, it kind of lends credence to my theory that it really is just shotgun effect. You know, they're like just keep throwing the shit at the wall. Something's got to stick. But it's interesting because as we talked about last week, um, uh, AB and Bev was actually killing a whole bunch of their like 
uh, of these kind of projects. Now, this is probably getting too close to the to the release date to kill it. And also, if you're gonna if you're gonna bet on something, bet on hard seltzer right now because, yeah. you know, why not? Um, it would make sense they pull out of some of their stranger um, beer experiments. But yeah, if if I'm an AB in executive, it's already almost there. Like fuck it, see if the, see if see if those idiots will drink that shit. I, who knows? And I feel like. AB InBev's bet on kind of weirder flavors than White Claw has, where White Claw's kind of done your typical, it's this fruit, it's your mango, it's your black cherry, it's your lime, it's your tangerine. Right. Where they've gone cranberry and lime, strawberry kiwi, mango and peach, uh, like a clementine hibiscus, uh, Mango and cranberry, botanical and fruit options, uh, pear, elderflower, uh, a cactus lime, and I'm like, and then now you add these cocktail flavors in. I'm outside of the Bud Light seltzers. I think they're the ones with the most like normal. Like, oh, here's a lemon, here's a lime, here's a strawberry, here's. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, again, sort of makes sense. Like, we'll see if we like throw, you know, extra flavors at them. See if that does it. Please, somebody, dr- please, somebody, drink this shit. Anybody, drink this shit. <laughs> but we'll see kind of how this plays out. Uh, if I had to bet, I'm gonna say White Claw keeps blowing up, and in the next <clears throat> nine, ten months, AB and Bev releases another line of hard seltzers. <laughs> At the three point seven seventy. <laughs> All right, that's your prediction. Or uh, I could see like four percent and like eighty. Um, I guess my prediction is this is the last we ever hear about it. They and it just they experiment with it for a while. It flops and then it goes away. But you know. As you, as all our listeners know, we're great at predictions so, with this Deadpool. So, if, so, <laughs> so if so, if that's any indication, um, sell, buy a bunch of AB InBev stock because this thing's about to go absolutely <laughs> berserk. Just go ahead. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, this is about to be the biggest thing since fucking White Claw. <laughs> you know, it's the opposite of the. Uh, it's 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 the opposite of like a. If uh, this a, takes off, I'm solely blaming Gus for this, and we got to disband the podcast for accidentally making AB InBev popular. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay, so uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, if this actually takes off, uh, we're you done. You can make some money and and, and we're and get rid of us. So <laughs> win win. <laughs> Just cut us in a little bit of money. What do we got next, Jeremy? All right, craft beer festival news. Now, um, they're all canceled. The end. That was that was it. Actually, so I just saw something on Facebook. That, like, someone just created an event for a craft beer festival out in Caldwell on <laughs> June 20th. And I think it's, they're, like, planning on it happening. And I'm like, that is a fucking terrible idea. I feel like most of 2C right now is like, yeah, no, this thing's not real. Uh, we flattened the curve. That means this is cured 100%. Let's go back to normal life. Let's rage. So, for those of you who don't live in Idaho, um, um, Nampa and Caldwell or Canyon County, um, they're kind of like, there's like a, this like the spot in Idaho that doesn't recognize the United States government as a southern governing party. It's like, it's like. That's the, northern Idaho, Jeremy. Fair enough. <laughs> it's like, for Los Angeles, the Inland Empire, except for more so. <laughs> um, 
kind of hit it on for the... for like you know for uh, Houston and San Antonio, it's the rest of Texas. <laughs> They're like science. That's fake news. <laughs> um, for you know. Um, any spot, if you have a state that you've, if you have a state and there's a part of your state you just chop off the end and end with Tucky, you know, Pencil Tucky, Mon Tucky. Yeah, if there's yeah. a spot in your state that you just add Tucky to, it's that. <laughs> I think you get the idea. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to figure out how to add Tucky to Nampa and Caldwell. <laughs> no Tucky? <laughs> I don't think you have to. I think, I think 2C says it all. <laughs> anyway, um... No, there there actually is some news on the craft beer festival front, and not just that you know uh, that rural Idaho is going to be the next big hot spot for the plague. Um, we'll keep you posted if that beer festival does go. Um, but no, it's pretty well known that the big beer festivals you know and love are pretty much DOA. Um, the BA had to cancel three of their biggest events this year, including uh, the Craft Brewers Conference in San Antonio, uh, the Savor Beer and Food Festival in DC, and Homebrew Con in Nashville. And so far, it has cost uh, the BA half of their 2019 revenue. Oh, and I will be surprised if <laughs> the Great American Beer Festival, GABF, that's, goes on in October. That's on, that's on my list. I mean, so right now, they still have it on. But they are preparing to have to do away with the actual festival itself and only do the beer competition. Um, which is, you know, it's a bit like going to a massage parlor and only getting an awkward handy in the lobby. I mean, it's why you went, but you're missing a lot of the experience. And unless you're Robert Kraft, then you got a real good one. <laughs> but and of course, as you mentioned, Tyler, a week or two ago, Oktoberfest, probably the world's biggest beer festival, is canceled. Yep. But and then all the small ones in between, which sort of makes sense when you think about it, because I mean, without a vaccine, beer festivals just seem, you know, even even if you get to a point where like. Other gatherings can start happening, even smaller, you know, even up to like 100 people. A beer festival just seems really risky. If you think about how most of them work, you got a little... drinking from other people's cups. You got a little glass and you hand it to somebody who then, you know, pours it into, you know, know, pours a little sample and hands it back to you with... I mean, you could probably do that in a way that's um, hygienic, but it's, you know, with my new, like... Slightly like germaphobe eyes that I've kind of crafted over the last couple of months. All of a sudden, like a lot of that's going ew. Or <laughs> people going, dude, you need to try this beer. Yeah, don't waste a token. Try it out of my cup. Yeah. And before you're like, ah, fuck it, it's beer. I mean, the yeah. answer, I mean, the answer is, I guess you buy a whole lot of like little Dixie cups and you have to do it that way, which is possibly how it could, how a beer festival could happen. But all the turtles right now are like, fuck you guys. <laughs> um. But, uh, no, it's just, it, I, it, beer festivals, as we've known them in the past, probably not going to be a thing for quite a while, but. And I mean, it's a good amount of people crammed into usually a smaller confined space and ingesting alcohol at usually an unhealthy rate. So it's really just shooting the immune system right there. And not to mention at a certain at at, at a at a certain B or certain uh, yeah uh, blood alcohol level any like semblance you had about social, social distancing, distancing and any other like I should not do that goes away and you're like hugging people and eating asshole licking. in the parking lot. <laughs> Tyler, do you have something you need to tell us? <laughs> no, that was a Buffalo Bills reference. <laughs> I want a sports <laughs> reference kick right now. 
<laughs> How bad do you miss sports right oh, now? <laughs> so much. I started playing like sports video games on my phone. I'm just I'm jonesing for it. I almost watched Korean baseball the other day. And how, tell me how you felt about yourself at that moment. I was like, it's live sports. <laughs> the good news is, a few of them are moving online in kind of a virtual setting. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago about a Colorado craft beer festival that was less a festival and more of an opportunity to give somebody money while you take a picture of yourself drinking beer. Um, going back to the massage parlor uh, uh, example. It's, It'd be like jerking off and just letting them watch you. And then paying them for the hand job. I like your, yeah, pretty much, yeah. It's like jerking off and then paying somebody for the privilege, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the room. And the support. Not even just, you're just in the parking lot, just, well, this kind of sucked. That'll be five bucks, please. <laughs> hey, Oregon's doing drive through strip clubs right now. Really? I want to be, I, I, I want to go to there. Yeah, Portland. drive through Port- Of course Portland's doing it. And Portland, I feel, gets <clears throat> shit on because everyone's like, oh, Vegas has the best strippers. No. Portland, way better. Killer food in there, and I'm like, everyone just shits on it because they're like, it's Portland. A hundred percent. There's, but they're the 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 much better setting, much better everything else in Vegas cheaper. and cheaper, <laughs> and you know the the uh, uh, and the ability to see uh, tits that weren't like crafted in a lab, which you know I'm a fan. Um, I mean, boobs are boobs. Fair. I mean, it may state a preference. I'll take whatever's on tap. They're a bit like beer that way. <clears throat> fake tits get fake money, though. <laughs> That's why you throw Monopoly money. Wow, this got off a of, got of the way. Anyway. <laughs> Tyler, oh, to how, God, my mom's not listening. <laughs> hi, Tyler's mom, and you know. You know you, you, you know you know what your son is, and you should be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> The Oklahoma Craft Beer Summit came up with a kind of a cool idea. Um, this is actually happening this week starting May 15th, uh, which is yesterday as of, as of right now. Um, it's completely sold out. Um, but what you could have done is buy a ticket. They send you a collection of 24 beers to sample. Um, and then you can log on and listen to guided tastings, panel discussions, um, discussions about beer style, beer industry geekery, it's all on Zoom calls, but you can. But essentially, you kind of get all the experience of like a, a little conference in that you get to taste a bunch of beers, you get to listen to uh, uh, to beer geeks pontificate about um, utter nonsense, and um, who are a little more intelligent than Jeremy and I, uh, quite a bit more. And um, you know, and pro- if you slam them all in one go, you could also get blisteringly drunk and pass out in your lawn. Plus, with the added bonus of not, you know. Having pants on. Exactly. So, you know, it's there is some there is an upside to this. So when you wake up with morning wood, the neighbors get a show. <laughs> Plus you're aerating your lawn, so <laughs> <laughs> this this podcast is going is getting real blue in a big hurry. <laughs> um We're running low on news stories, guys. This actually came though with a kind of a hidden benefit because as you might imagine some, doing doing this with not having to, to bring in speakers from uh, out from outside, not having to set up a venue, um, not having to set up a jockey box a couple hours before a festival, then deal with all the drunk people during the festival, and then tear down, get back to the brewery, clean everything, and then finally go home after working for like thirteen hours. 
Yeah, it sounds great. I just witnessed a man who, when I began this conversation, was missing beer festivals, and he, I just saw him immediately go, no, actually, I'm on board. Let's do them all virtually <laughs> from now on ever. <laughs> yep. um, the hidden benefit, though, was that um, the, the overhead was much less. For, so for about $3,000, they were able to raise 50000 Damn. Which is significantly better than if they actually had an event. So, you know, the, um, the uh, Oklahoma Craft Beer Summit actually... And I mean, raised... you don't have to get volunteers, even though 90% <clears throat> of the fucking beer festivals are like, oh, you gotta provide your own tip certified volunteer. You're already coming and working fuck free and providing all this fucking shit, but we can't even get off our lazy ass to provide you a volunteer. Tyler has some very strong feelings about how beer festivals are run. <laughs> the ungrateful bastards. <laughs> some are great. Some do an awesome job. Others are like, let's put on a beer festival. It'll make so much money. And they're like, that's a lot of work. We don't want to do that. You guys should do it for us. <laughs> um, Untapped is moving their big big beer festival online. Um, and... Uh, they're doing some, roughly the same thing, although they have two different experiences. Um, for about $90, they'll ship you 11 beers, um, at which point in time you can uh, they'll ship you 11 beers. Uh, you can access all the virtual panels. You get a $10 gift card um, for merchandise and for halftime beverage. is one of their, uh, one of their, uh, um, their retail sponsors. Um, or you can pick kickback for 15 and just buy your own beer and watch the uh, virtual panels. That's not bad. I like I like that option because it, like, if you want to be drinking the same thing everyone else is, and you may not have access to a lot of those beers, it gives you the option to get some mm-hmm. new beers you may not have tried, get a further in-depth breakdown. But if you just want to try to learn a little more about beer, have fun, relax, you don't care, and drink your six-pack of whatever beer you love to crush, awesome. Um, that and the actually good thing about that is that's actually a nationwide event. It's available in 28 states whose local laws uh, permit them to act, be able to send beer into the state. So, so I'm assuming if you don't live in one of those states, and I'm assuming Idaho's not one of those states, can I go out of limb and suggest probably not? Although we do get, people here do get divorced, so. And I think that's technically not supposed to happen according to abc but not sure nobody's stopping it yeah uh but i'm assuming if you do live in one of those states that you can't have the package shipped to you you can still pay your 15 bucks to watch all your panel absolutely so yeah you could so anybody in anywhere presumably can pay the 15 bucks and have access to these uh panel discussions um here's kind of my favorite harpoon brewing has an annual five-mile race through the streets of uh, uh, the brewery's Boston down uh, Boston neighborhood. Um, it's gone on for 18 years, but of course they can't do it this year. So for their 19th um, uh, race, uh, you can sign up. Uh, they uh, and pay for a ticket. They send you a gift bag that includes beer, of course, um, gift from the sponsors, tickets to next year's event, and. Uh, and a, and a link where you can print off your race bib. And then from there, according to the, uh, according to the brewery... Um, Go run five miles? Run, run push, uh, uh, hand cycle, or skip five miles on Sunday uh, from your house on a treadmill or on a trail using proper safety precautions. Go out and run five miles. <laughs> and then start crushing beers. 
3,000 runners have already signed up, and proceeds are going to the Angel Fund for ALS research. Awesome. But I kind of, there's something about that. It's like, yeah, print off a race bib and just go. <laughs> what are you doing running down the street in a race bib with a six-pack in your hand? It's for a good cause. How drunk are you? Very. <laughs> I had three six-packs before I got to you. So, you know. Uh, if so, the, for those of you who are missing your beer festivals uh, this year, which is basically everybody but Tyler, um, there you go. There are there are some options to get a little bit of it, and uh, you know maybe someday soon we can all gather uh, gather together again, uh, sample the same beers. You can go visit Tyler. He'll be the one that's muttering curses behind the <laughs> jockey box. <laughs> beer fests are great when you don't have to work them. Uh, shall we get into the next beer? Yeah. All right. So this one, what's this one? So this one is from Casa Bruja Brewing out of Panama City, Panama. It is a goza with pink guava, coriander seeds, and Himalayan pink salt. I mean, I definitely get the coriander. That was the first thing I noticed was like, whoa, that's almost like, ooh, that... That almost strays into like a, a quality of coriander I'm not a fan of, where it kind of gets like celery or vegetal. I don't know if I'm getting that. Um, I get the I get the guava and the fruit, the mm-hmm. tropical fruit, the the tartness. Yeah. Lucky doesn't come out of the flavor. It's very fruity. Um, and you got that nice <clears throat> salty, but not overly salty. Mm-hmm. It's an it's enough where you want to take another drink, but not so much that you're like, I just drank salt water. That's actually extremely good, very very refreshing. Like I said, the major the major thing you get on it is guava. Yep. With um with a good balanced acidity, the saltness like helps kind of bring out some of the savory aspects. Yeah. Um, the coriander is more subdued in the flavor, which I appreciate. I get a little bit of that spicy kick, mm-hmm. um, towards the back. I taste it more in the background, uh, or the in the. Uh, the back of the palate more than anything else, but that's a nice one. All right, cool. Our first beer from Peru. Panama. Or Panama. Excuse me, Panama. Yep. All right, what's next? Uh, so up next, we've got a little more news of we'll never can this beer, and, <laughs> well, I guess we're going to can this beer. Um, I'll, uh, we've we've talked about Barley Browns. Um, it's a brewery that's very close to where we record um, out in Baker City. Um, they are very. They were very much against um, canning beer. Um, they kind of had a philosophy. They wanted their beer to be appreciated in tap rooms and restaurants. Um, uh, it's something you have to seek out and go out and find. Um, and they, but for the for the pandemic, they broke down, and started canning. It's been hugely popular here in town. Yep. Uh, well, we've got another Northwest brewery. Uh, saw this article on the Washington Beer Blog uh, by Kendall Jones. And it says, never say never. Georgetown Brewing is introducing Manny's Pale Ale cans. So if you've ever seen a Georgetown handle, basically, usually you'll see your Bodhisattva, your Johnny Utah, and Manny's Pale Ale. Mm-hmm. Uh, Manny's Pale Ale, named after one of the founders. Um, and when they first came out with it, they said, this is going to be a draft-only beer. Uh, the article actually talks... Um, in it, that one thing that set Manny's apart from all the others is kegs were delivered and stored upside down. With this here, they had wanted to keep it as a kind of homage to where they came from of 
before they started canning, it was all sold through draft. They wanted to keep that one beer as draft only to encourage people to go out, socialize. If you want a Manny's, you'll go sit down and have a pint. Georgetown was always weird to me before. Um, I mean, they uh, I'd kind of forgotten about them until they started canning and they uh, came into came into this market in a big, bad way. Um, I'd go visit them in Seattle because they uh, uh, did have good beer. But it was always weird because, I mean, you go to the, you even go to the tap room. And it wasn't a tap room. You know, they wouldn't serve you a beer there. They would, they, at the time they were like, no, no, no. I mean, they kind of explained it. We want you to go to, you know, to the, you can you this, go to bar. this bar or this tap room or something. We want you to enjoy, you know, our, we, we want you to uh, enjoy the beer and support, you know, these other businesses. They'd sell you a growler there, but that was it. They, you could do tastings. You could buy a growler, but that was it. They mm-hmm. would not serve pints there. And the article talks about how it's become Seattle's most ubiquitous draft beer. Um, and their mantra at the brewery has always been, ne- uh, because they do can some of their other beers, was never Manny's, never say never. <laughs> right. Um, well, fast forward to the time of COVID-19 and a global pandemic. All of a sudden, and especially in the Seattle area and Washington State, you had Bars and restaurants shut down, locked up, stay at home. Washington got hit especially hard, yes. Um, and so they sat there and decided, you know, I think this time we do Manny's in a can just so we're not sitting there dumping it down the drain. Uh, this is going to be a limited release expected to last six weeks. Oh, damn. In uh, all the proceeds of the sales of Manny's Cannies, Will benefit a local, a number of local nonprofit organizations, all geared towards supporting pandemic-impacted workers in the food and beverage industry. Um, with this here, uh, a couple of the places that they are going to be actually supporting with this is uh, donations will be made to Big Table in Seattle and Spokane. The Plate Fund, We Are Yakima Fund, and other nonprofit organizations uh, in Washington State. Um, they talked about how it can be kind of a bitch to get a new can launched. I'll bet. And especially during this time. Well, especially because you still have to, well, assuming they're sending it out of state, you have to uh, get the label approved by the TTP, which they may not be doing. And from everything in the article, it looks like it's only going to be in Washington State. Those bad it says... Manny's Pale Ale should be available at the brewery beginning Saturday, May 23rd, and available in Washington stores after Wednesday, May 27th. At least that way you have to bother, don't have to bother with the TTP. Yep. Uh, but I just thought kind of cool to bring up, you know, another brewery kind of doing that. Uh, and it seems everyone's adapting to cans, and this is really kind of putting the bullet in beer and bottles really mm-hmm. and switching everything cans mm-hmm. uh saw a fox news article talking about how cans are kind of saving a lot of craft breweries and we talked last week on similar topic um and i actually saw a tweet that made me think because we were talking i want to say it was last week or the week before last week yeah about you know is they're a big enough boost in off-prem to cover the on-prem right. loss. 
Well, I saw from Beer Marketers Insights, their Twitter, they said, while off-premise and online alcohol beverage sales booming amid panic, the U.S. alcohol market needs to sustain 22% volume growth across all alcohol categories sold off-premise in order to nearly level off the impact of closed bars and reports a Nielsen report estimated. Jesus. I mean, first of all, I'm kind of surprised that people that isn't happening because, um, well, I mean, I, just because I don't think people are drinking any less. But, but it's... So basically, to put it into perspective, to match the volume you were doing with kegs... You have to sell twenty two. You have to have a twenty two percent boost on all your package items, right? To make up for the lost cakes of that specific item. I mean, on average, I think you know, on some breweries, yeah. that's closer to probably a hundred percent. True, and then, but what that doesn't really get into is there is the profit change. Right. We talked. We talked a little bit about this last week. Where um, I mean, where we were just talking just volume, the profit margin on uh, on premises tinier. Yeah. So to match your <clears throat> profit, I I'd, I'd hate to see what that percentage number would be, and there's no way anyone's getting close I mean, to that. Yeah, I think there's just a great big stamp saying not happening. Yeah. Um. You know. Hopefully, you're making enough money to stay afloat. Otherwise, not happening. Yeah. You're not going to be making as much money. <laughs> But at least your beer's not going bad. Well, you got something brighter for us, Jeremy. Um, does uh, does a deep dive into the uh, into the intricacies of uh, beer style count as brighter? Usually, in my book. Okay, then we really are living in the end times. Shit, only incredible beer geeks care about news now. Woo! Um, I almost brought an icebox for this episode <laughs> just to fuck with you. What, Tyler, when would you think you would you say you started seeing Mexican lagers, like craft Mexican lagers by American breweries, start really, like, really becoming a thing? Would have been the time that me and you were both work, like our last year together at the homebrew shop we both worked at. So that would have been three, four years ago, somewhere in there. 2015, 2016. Yeah. I should think. Late 2014, <clears throat> sometime um, in 2015. Because that was the year, I believe, that 21st Amendment came out with El Sully. Yep. Um, and then, uh, was the, I'm not sure if that was, was that year or the year after that Oscar Blues came out with Burrito. Yep. Um, and then... You got Jesus from Melvin. Yeah. Uh, there was, I mean, there was a couple of years where it was like everybody was coming out with, a, you know, their, uh, a Mexican, Mexican lager. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think of the top of my head all, all of them that I saw, but you, I remember us looking at the cooler going, damn it. Yeah, I'd say right around May of 2015 is, I feel like April, May of 2015, it took off. Um, because yeah, we were just looking at going, Jesus, everybody's doing a Mexican lager now. So, cause I remember like <sighs> stopping at a bar on a Cinco de Mayo and all of a sudden it's this crap, Mexican lager, Mexican lager, Mexican lager. And I'm like... And the crazy part was, some were Vienna lagers, some were just light lagers, and some had fruit added to it, some were just branded as a Mexican lager, and I'm like, what does it mean? <laughs> I mean, you've hit upon the point, is is that, okay, what exactly is a Mexican lager? I found, I found it interesting for a while, as a beer judge, especially when this, is, when this was literally taking off, that Mexican lager had no... Um, 
that had no style guideline. There was nothing in the BJCP about a, what a Mexican style lager was. Um, there to this to this day, checked it out today. Uh, GABF guidelines do not Mex- mention Mexican lager or Mexican amber lager or anything. The best you can ever find is international pale lager, international amber lager, which is where your Vienna lager. Which is, well, and but here's the thing, um, you know, the, for a while, like um, Negro Modelo or mm-hmm. Modelo Negra, as I think it's called now, um, was classified as Vienna lager, but they have since switched it to international amber lager because they started adding corn. Mm. And that and like the Dos Equis Amber is an amber lager, um, but um, but really you you see you see a lot of brands like you know advertising Mexican lager or Mexican style lager. So what the big question was it what is this style that doesn't seem to have a style? Um, G T Wharton uh, wrote this. Can piece. I throw in a little like at least from my perspective what my guess would be? Go for it. It, at least from everything I've seen, it's going to be a smidge paler than a Vienna lager. Uh, typically, uh, still very crisp. You'll get some malt notes coming through. And most people I've seen add lime to it. Okay. In, in the fermenter, so it's got some sort of lime flavoring. Okay. Um, G.T. Wharton wrote this piece in the, on the fullpint.com where he tried to nail down what... Where is what is the Mexican part of a Mexican lager? Like, what is uniquely Mexican about these beers? Um, he started by going out, and I would say heroically, uh, trying a whole bunch of beers that you would think of when you talk about mass-produced Mexican lager: Corona Extra, uh, Bodelo Especial, uh, Pacifico Clara, uh, Sol Tecate, Dos Equis Victoria, Bodelo Negra, and Dos Equis Amber. Um, and he found a few things. First of all, that as a style, it's not so much defined as uh, defined by its qualities as by its flaws. Um, he noted that his favorite was uh, his, his two favorites were Pacifico and um, uh, Modelo Negra because they had less of the skunky, old, soapy, stale flavors that came from either heat damage, clear bottles. Corona, mm-hmm. I'm looking in your direction. Um, I was going to say, because I think Pacifico and Modelo Negra both have brown bottles. Yeah. Um, um, or any number of things that just happen to beer of this style. But, so, I mean, first of all, he's like, well, my favorites are the ones that have been ruined less. Yeah. Um, but at the heart, what he found was kind of what we expect. First, they tend to use a lot of flaked corn. Okay. Um, Which would make sense. So yeah, in addition in to being, Mexico, corn's a pretty common commodity. Uh, in addition to being a lot cheaper, yeah, um, it also gives the beer a very light, dry, crisp, refreshing quality that I think consumers respond to more. So it's one of those things where I think it's uh, equal parts like, hey, this is cheaper, we can replace some barley with this, mm-hmm. and customers like it more. And if it's crisper and it's hot, right, even better. Um, they tend to have almost no bitterness. Um, but neither are they terribly sweet. They tend to be very dry. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, um, he went out and started uh, uh, analyzing. All right, so this is like, you know, these are what the craft breweries are trying to emulate. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of goes, all right. So a crisp uh, uses corn, not really in it, 
bitterness, but no sweetness, and can have some skunky, right, off flavor. Well, I think he was trying to avoid. I mean, but, there's there's obvious flaws, but but I mean, but he kind of took that and said, okay, so so this is what I mean. Apparently, the creme de la creme. But he also, but he also is like, but when you look at when you look at uh, uh, beers branded Mexican style, what he found was like four or sorry, he found five different categories, five different styles, oh. really, um, that he ended up discussing. And so, um, the first one um, was you know, kind of what you said, like when you say Mexican lager, you go, you know, is it like, is it like something like a Corona? Where it's just light and really crisp, or is it something more like a Vienna lager? Mm-hmm. You know, something from the old German tradition, or is it like something with lime say, added? Because the <clears throat> Vienna lager makes sense with the Germans going down there after World War II. Uh, you had some brewmasters go down there. That's why there's the eagle on the Tecate can. It's very similar to the Nazi eagle. <laughs> uh, but there, 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 there were a few Germans that were very quietly reminiscing about uh, the fatherland. Yes. Yeah. So. I can see where, like, you can interpret... Okay, Vienna Lager going to be closed down there because there is going to be a big German influence on a Mexican brewery. Um, so we so we talked, so we started off with, like, the, the the pale lager. So we we're trying to emulate, like, Corona, um, Sol, um, uh, Modelo Especial, Pacifico Clara. Um, these, uh, some of the ones he mentioned are, like, El Sully from 21st Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, I would put uh, Mother Earth's uh, latest one, uh, Tierbadre, kind of in this category. I've heard, <clears throat> and I don't know if you have this in any categories, but the new Stone one, the Los something, it's got like a luchador mask on it. I, I mentioned there's a there is a stone brew a stone beer in here, although it's a, in a and different. It's it's a new one. I haven't tried it. Okay. I've seen it at a couple stores. It might be. Wow. Um. And also Freem's uh, Mexican Lager. Okay. Um, he sampled a lot of these American craft examples, and you know they were trying to replicate something like those. Um, without going, I mean, he he broke it down really granular. And you know, if you are if you are really interested in this shit, I invite you to go look at the article. We're gonna I'm gonna kind of breeze through it because it gets you know it gets deep. It gets super geeky. Um, but what you but the but what you what uh, the overall idea is that what he found was. First of all, they're generally better than their Mexican counterparts uh, because they're not being mishandled on the way up, uh, way north. Yeah, and it's not being shipped <clears throat> through unrefrigerated trucks. And... Um, and American craft beer, I mean, craft beer, uh, they tend to care about their product. Yeah. Not saying that Corona doesn't. No, actually, that's actually what I'm saying. I'm saying Corona you put cares. It in a fucking clear bottle. <laughs> you put, if you put your beer in a clear bottle... Um, you don't care, which is weird for me to say because I actually my go the my the, my 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 strange like I think every beer geek uh, has like their domestic or their mass produced go to beer, and mine actually is Modelo Especial. Okay, I can do Modelo Especial, but it's got to be in the can. A hundred percent. But my go to would be Coors Banquet. Um, about once a year, I will go get a, like a twenty four rack of Modelo Especial and uh, and crush that. Occasionally, <laughs> I'll, I'll rock some Pacifico if I'm really feeling it or out of cookout. Um, it seems like there was like one brew session where I was completely out of beer. Is like the height the 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 one of the hottest weeks of summer. I was brewing in my garage, and like I said, completely out of beer. 
And you can't brew beer without drinking beer because you anger the beer gods. <laughs> so I went to the nearest grocery store, bought a 20 rack of uh, Especial, um, and was just drinking that because it goes down like water and I'm thirsty because it's like 100 fucking 10. And you're standing by a fucking burner. And um, the, the end of that day gets real, real fuzzy. Because <laughs> apparently, even uh, with Modelo, if you drink like 15 of them in a sitting... <laughs> You're gonna, you're gonna Standing get standing ups hard. You're gonna get shit hammered. Um, but he found out that they. But it's anyway. Back, he found they were essentially better. Um, but otherwise, you know, the 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 obvious quality that each of them had was the introduction of corn. Um, uh, maybe more corn than others, but as we know, corn is not a Mexican specific ingredient. No. Um, your cream ales can have corn. Your, you know, ask Budweiser. You know, Miller famously uses corn in their <laughs> mm-hmm. in their product. Um, so, you know, they, it the American uh, versions were more bitter, um, and especially like he mentioned that uh, Freem's Mexican Lager could be easily classified as a pilsner. Yeah. Um, El Soli uses a mix of grains, which gives it a more fuller, complex malt profile, which I vaguely remember. It's been a while since I had an El Soli. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember it having, having like... It's got sea salt in it, too, didn't it? Not to my knowledge. For some reason, I thought sea salt... It had, like, sea salt and lime in it, but... But... I I'm, could be wrong. But, I mean, you know, you kind of look at it like... But, but as you hit upon, cream ale... Um, and you know, you know Miller. Mm-hmm. There's nothing inherently like unique about using corn in a to lighten up a lager, and so hence really no need for a a separate category outside of you know international pale lager or pilsner or, or international else. amber lager. Right. Well, I mean, get into amber lager. So that's category number two. Where he started. Um, this is where it gets a little bit weird because, as you mentioned, so you know the Vienna lager. One it's, of my favorite styles. It's a beautiful style. It's essentially dead in its native homeland. Um, although it's being gradually reawakened by uh, American craft beer. Although it really hasn't taken off huge. It like picked <clears throat> up, I feel, when these when the Mexican lagers started blowing up. And then it's kind of died off a little. Well, and that's, that's what, that's what uh, um, um, uh, Wharton posits is that how many craft breweries... Did a Vienna Lager and branded it as and didn't Mexican. move. They put you know they put a, a, a you know a Mexican sounding name on it and suddenly that's blowing out the doors. Um, but um, no, I mean so, and then there's some history for that because um, yeah, as you mentioned, German brewers brought that down. Um, uh, Modelo Negra for the longest time was like the last remaining Vienna Lager, mm-hmm. uh, but they started adding corn to it. Um, which is which takes it right off the Vienna Lager category list. Makes it more like a Kentucky Common. Yeah, or I mean, it's listed. I think if I'm not mistaken, it's uh, it's like a prime example of an international amber lager. Uh, do, uh, um, Dos Equis. Dos Equis is uh, according to the website a German style Dunkel. Oh. Um, but I mean, th- while there were once I think good examples of like these archaic styles, I mean, very German tradition. Uh, through the years, they've been they they've you know been I guess could you call it Mexicanized by adding corn? Um, 
Spanglished. Yeah, but the weird thing is that the American interpretations of these amber longer uh, amber loggers don't use corn at all. Are more in line with the traditional so, Vienna lager. So take Burrito from Oscar Blues. Delicious beer. Um, no longer available, apparently. Yeah, I kind of miss that. Um, it was amber in color, um, but they didn't use any corn. Um, and there's actually some there's actually some evidence that I mean, for example, uh, Dos Equis may not actually use corn. They say they use a a blend of quote um, unmalted cereal grains. So could be could be corn, could be could oats, be could be wheat. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so an ale Smith Sublime doesn't use any corn at all. Which you know, if the if the if the thing that makes it Mexican is corn, well then you've got this whole category that you that are more in line with the German styles. And I want to say like Ska did one a Mexican lager that was. Yeah, more Vienna lager in style, but so I mean, if you, so you, so if you're, you know, again, you know, what is the Mexican part of this? There really isn't. We what what you have was German traditional lagers that were altered um, over time and mm-hmm. taste and everything else. But if you're like, but the um, but they're mirroring mm-hmm. some big Mexican brewing conglomerates. Yeah, and they basically just said, "Oh, we don't want to do a Corona, but we want to do a Modelo Negra." Yeah, but we don't want to. But we don't want to add corn, so mm-hmm. we're going to do it more in line with what it used to be. Or they didn't even realize I added corn. To or or that, and so they were. Yeah, because I don't know if I would have known unless you just said. Or I mean, like he posits, you took a Vienna lot, you made a Vienna lager that you liked, no one else did, and you're like. Screw it. Put you know, call it burrito and let's see, watch it fly off the shelves. Holy shit, that worked! <laughs> oh god, these people are dumb. Make more of that. Um, um, the third category. Got, oh. Just gotta put a borderline racist name on it. And <laughs> white people dig that shit up. Uh, third category is a lager with salted lime. Um, so there are a couple of beers that basically replicate kind of beer cocktails that people make. To pretty much make a skunky, awful bottle of Corona drinkable. Where you add lime, add salt. Um, Los Locos from Epic comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the one I was thinking of with the, instead of El Soli. Um, yeah. Um, Belching Beaver has theirs. Great Lakes, Flying Dog. Mm-hmm. Um, Stone uh, mentions that one. I forget which one it was. But uh, the writer he was not impressed. He basically compared all these attempts um, by all these... Very good breweries, as an expensive version of a shitty beer with lime in it. Mm-hmm. He actually went so far as to compare Belching Beavers, um, uh, uh, not Buenos Tiempos, but another one they came out with um, with lime. He basically they they use like de- dehydrated lime juice, so the lime was like really overpowering. Uh. And he compared it to Bud Light Lime, which. Ooh. Me thinks them fighting words. Yeah. <laughs> Not had this beer. Kind of want to try it. Um, but, I could, but, I mean, Belching Beaver, I like them. They tend to go overboard. They tend to go sweet. And I could see them coming out with something that's like, yeah, that basically tastes like, you know, mm-hmm. expensive lime juice. But, um, but yeah, it's less a, you know, is it, you know, you kind of go back. Is it the, you know, is that the Mexican part? Is like the doctoring up of a uh, craft beer and... Or doctoring up of a crappy beer and then just a craft beer replication by adding lime and salt. Not really. That's an, an American thing. That's not something you typically run into in Mexico. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. I I mean... It's the same thing as people think Foster's Australian beer. Right. 
Uh, because the advertising has told them that's what they do. Yeah, Mexicans no. add lime to beer. I believe uh, I believe uh, an Australian once uh, uh, said of Foster's, uh, "We feed that to our dogs." <laughs> <laughs> um, which brings us to the fourth um, category is the fact that there are actual craft breweries in Mexico. Because mm-hmm. why wouldn't there be? Uh, he went out to find if there was like a Mexican craft culture that was like somehow different from American craft culture. He tried a Vienna lager from a, a Cervecia de uh, Colma Cinco. I'm so sorry if you speak Spanish and you're listening to me try to say this. I'm going to give it Just one more fucking shot. fucking butcher this shit. Cervecia uh, de uh, Colmia Cincos is the name of the brewery. It's their Vienna lager, um, which follows a pretty strict interpretation of a Vienna lager. Um, which means, ironically, no corn. Um, uh, they did a, like a dunkel, which again, very strict interpretation. Um, there's a lot of like hazy IPAs, IPAs, but you know, out of American tradition, there's not really. He didn't really notice anything that they were doing. They're either they were either going back to old German tradition, or they were m- mirroring American? American craft beer. Okay. And there's really he didn't find anything. Now he admits he's not an expert. In, you know, he could only f- pick up a few uh, uh, cans that he could get in California. Um, so he said, you know, basically, don't send me your letters. I really, you know. I'm, I it, didn't go down to Mexico. I, I didn't go down to Mexico. He basically said, uh, this is my the best I can tell from, you know, I can get here and then like an afternoon in Tijuana. Which, you know, that's how you get herpes. Um, <laughs> from a donkey. <laughs> uh, but he says, I mean, there really wasn't anything that made it. Unique. There wasn't an ingredient or anything that made made it uniquely Mexican, you know, in that in in that sense. And so that brings us to the fifth category. Generally, a Mexican inspired beer. Think Chocovesa from Stone. Stone. Uh, again, Belching Beavers, Viva La Beaver, Beaver, Dogfish Head Sequench. He mentions. Or, really. Um, I mean, any of the beers that kind of emulate a margarita. Okay. So you got a few of them. Um, Sequench is the first one that comes to mm-hmm. mind, but there's a there's a there's a few that you like that they're, they're kind of like a beer version of a margarita, yeah, um, or beers that like emulate or take inspiration from Mexican hot chocolate or your Prairie Bomb, your yeah, exactly where they where they're adding cinnamon and peppers and what have you um, for a little bit of that kick, but again, inspired more by Mexican food culture, culture. not so much beer, so. Um, after that, Leo, you know, very long journey. You know what does that tell us? And it basically explains that you know the reason that's really hard to pin down. What the fuck does Mexican style thing mean? There, it's a nebulous term. Mm-hmm. It can, you know, it's a, it's a it's a it means something different to everyone, right? It's something you can slap on any craft. You know, it, I mean, there's there's some stipulations, obviously. I mean, you know, but you get you kind of get within those categories. Mm-hmm. You can kind of slap a you know a, a Spanish word or a Spanish derived word on there, and uh, you know, call it your Mexican Mexican beer. And I feel like the Mexican beers are just such a bastardized version because they're pulling from you know the American beer culture, the German, like you said, plus their own climate and environment. Yeah. So. Which, you know, not conducive to making beer, uh, although that's why they make, tend to make... That's why you, that in, uh, in you know, not only in Mexico, but you got something like the Tropical Stout, which is actually a lager as well. A black I mean, lager, really. Yeah. 
I mean, in a lot of like pla- Schwartz beer, in, a, yeah. in in places where you know that where you have to do temperature control in order to make a beer, they tend to do lagers because mm-hmm. you, you know you, you might as well because the 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 yeast is easier to get a hold of. Um, at least when they were starting off in you know eighteen, you know whatever. Um, I mean, you have to control the temperature anyway. Yeah, a lot of these colonial beer styles. Evolved out of lagers. Yeah. And they were crisper, a little easier to drink if it's hot or humid. So. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's warm down there. So, might as well make a lot of it. And I feel like that is also a reason why distilled spirits are a little more popular in those hot, humid climates. Look at, you know, rum in that area. Rum in the kind of bahama area well well, mostly because because you had all this i mean that's made from the uh the uh uh the um byproduct of sugar sugar. so you just had all this shit gathering up you're like Mm -hmm. wait we can make booze out of that shit but you don't really have to control the temperature as much not as much no the fermentation side (sighs) and then you got tequila made from the agave plant well, yeah. I mean, distilled palke, which you know, palke is kind of delicious. I don't know if you've had it. No, I haven't. It's um, it's a, it's, uh, I, at one point in time, someone like had read an old recipe and made it. Um, not here. This was in Nebraska, I think. Um, but it was, think like, it was. You could kind of get like you kind of get like some of the idea of tequila on it, but it was sour for a start. It hmm. was quite tart. Um, cause traditionally you use open, you use spontaneous fermentation. fermentation. Um, now so it'd he, be like a sourdough starter. Or... So he, now he actually pitched a, you know, um, some sour, uh, you know, a, a sour mix, but okay. to replicate. Like you know, a Britannomyces lactobacillus mix. I'm not sure. I mean, at that, at that point in time, I remember, he, I think he told me, but I wasn't savvy enough to remember what the fuck it was, <laughs> but I mean, but it was sour, um. It had, you know, you kind of go in the background, you kind of get that, like, that kind of warm tequila flavor mm. um, with a little bit of, like, fruitiness. I remember, like, a little bit of, like, orange or something on it. It was it, it, it was different. I mean, would I drink tons of it? No, but I could see, like, this is okay. Can we distill this in tequila? Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> but, uh, but there you go. I mean, you know, uh, it's interesting, and it kind of explains, like, okay, because... Anything that's anything that's in like a Mexican lager is covered elsewhere. So, um, just the, bar, the the power of branding. Yeah. And you know, and, and of course, uh, Mexican lagers are just known for being those those light, highly crushable, you know, beach beers. And so, you know, why not? All you need to do is make a make a, a, a incredibly crushable beer, and there you are. Sweet. All right, Tyler. Anything else today? Uh, just, we'll be taking a little bit of a break here for a couple weeks. Uh, I'm in the process of buying a house, so... By the way, congratulations Thank on you. that. Uh, yeah, he's, uh, uh, after we've actually just trashed Canyon County, uh, where are you moving, Tyler? <laughs> Canyon, I'm moving out to Nampa, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, hoisted on your own petard. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Never saw that coming. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, yes, congratulations. We are going to take, uh, a couple of weeks off to, you know, give... Give you time to uh, to uh, move into your house and and heck maybe uh, let some news build up so it's not just beer laws that suck and everything is terrible. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
But uh, anyway, all right. Well, this has been It's All Beer. Um, as always, you can find the stories that we use to, uh, to to put this together on our Twitter account. It's at all. It's at It's All Beer 1. Uh, we got a Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, you can see us uh, very cutely wearing the same shirt today. Um, and you can send us stories via email that it's at it's at it's all beer at gmail.com. Jesus H Christ, why can't I get that out? Um, and finally, uh, for as much as sure, leave us if you if you're listening to us and you haven't left us a rating, do so because you know Tyler is t- Tyler's a, a sensitive boy and you know needs a needs a little bit of encouragement now and again. Occasionally, that's how I get through beer festivals. <laughs> The occasional person coming up to you like, it's okay, Tyler. It's it's fine. You're doing a good job. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. You kind, kind soul. All right, well, that'll be all from us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to a beer festival. Have fun. All right, we're gonna change this. We're gonna change that from a Jeremy pour to a Tyler pour. Look at that shit. <laughs> I'll take a picture of it, and post it, and Renee will say, "Look, it's a Jeremy pour." Fuck you, Renee. <laughs> <clears throat> That's going on the end of the episode. That's the Easter egg. <laughs> <laughs>